This is The Camp with Zach Heilprin and the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Yes, welcome into The Camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. He is the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Well, woof. Badgers on the road lose at Indiana for the first time since 2002. They lose 20-14 to in a game that uh, looked a whole lot like a lot of the games that Wisconsin has played this year. Off to a slow start, find themselves in a hole. Defense figures some things out. Offense figures some things out. Get to the fourth quarter and not find a way to win. That is who Wisconsin has been for a large part of this year, Jesse. Yeah, this was just a sad, sorry display for Wisconsin. I know that the Badgers have been depleted by injuries, and I'm sure we'll get into it. There's no denying that. On the other hand, as I wrote in my story off the game, this is an indefensible loss. Indiana is not a good football team. I know Indiana played Penn State reasonably well, but the Hoosiers have been 2-21 and in Big Ten play since the start of the 2021 season. Hadn't won a game in the conference this year. The only two wins that Indiana had were against a winless FCS Indiana State and a two-win Akron team, and that one took four overtimes for Indiana to win. So, yes, there have been some things that have gone against Wisconsin this year, but you cannot go out there and play the way that they did. You can't. That's just, that's just straight up what, what can't happen. And I don't know how much we need to dig into this game. People probably have some bigger picture questions that they want answered. Uh, but there are a few things that I think at least need to be talked about. And the one that really sticks out for a lot of people probably is in the fourth quarter, first and 10 at the 18-yard line, and you end up punting. It is, I mean, a situation that just is, I, I, at the time I said inexcusable about the delay game, but I think the entire thing is inexcusable. They they run, don't get anything. They throw a pass, it's incomplete. And then sitting behind the center for nine seconds, Braden Locke doesn't call for the ball. Luke Fickle does not call timeout. No one calls timeout to delay a game. And in that moment, it's like, okay, well, they're it's only the 23-yard line. They can still kick a field goal from here. Unfortunately for them, they then get sacked for, ten, for a 10-yard loss, and all of a sudden it's at the 33-yard line. And Wisconsin is forced to make a decision. Do you try and kick the 50-yard field goal? Excuse me, the 51-yard field goal to tie the game? We got Nathaniel Vakos uh, over there. Why not? Why wouldn't you kick the field goal? You're down by three. You have a kicker that has the leg to make it from 50. Instead, they let another delay game called back to the 38, and they punt. That entire sequence is just bad football all around. Maybe some bad coaching in there as well. That is just inexcusable. Uh, I'm going to throw that word out there again. It was disastrous and worst case scenario when you find yourself in position to, at worst, have a chance to tie. At that moment, Indiana had a 17-14 lead. You have to put it on everybody. Braden Locke, you could probably say maybe even through the rest of this season, you can blame inexperience in some capacity, although he has now started three games, played an extra half against Iowa. Can't have that mistake. Cannot take a sack in that situation. Easy for me to say, I'm sitting up in the press box, not facing pressure, but you got to understand the situation, time, score, down distance, all of that. It was third and 15 at the Indiana 23. And I'm sure there were people wondering, just like I was and you were and everybody else, 
what is going on with Nathaniel Vakos? Because he had made a 50-plus yarder, I believe, against Iowa. And I know he had missed a couple. And we learned, sort of, but not fully, Mm. that he was battling something of some sort, perhaps sustained in pregame, that prevented Luke Fickle from feeling confident in sending him out there. Because if he's not hurt, there is no reason why you shouldn't be attempting a 51-yard field goal with him. And I, I followed up on the last question with Luke about... Just to clarify, you kind of mentioned the 33-32 yard line was that marker where you weren't quite sure. What Was there a distance where you would have felt comfortable? And he, I think his response was, was something to the effect of, well, you watch what happens in pregame. It depends on what side of the field you're on. But a healthy Vacos, in my mind, it's a no-brainer to, to give him a shot. Um, the one at the end of the first half, while I didn't fully understand the sequence in terms of clock management and decision-making in the end, it would have been, I believe a 56 yard field goal. And that's one where, and as Luke said, you want to put your guys in a position to succeed. Okay. I get that one. Um, but this is a tough call because Vacos was healthy enough to at least kick the extra points. So we don't have an answer on what distance would it would have been acceptable, but obviously 50 plus it wasn't it. And then you take the delay a game, you end up punting and if you just want to look at that situation as well, you put it on your defense, the defense actually did its job. Atticus Bertrams did his job. They pinned Indiana at the four, the defense forced a three and out. The problem is on the next possession, Katie Akameli ends up fumbling. And as we know, Wisconsin just couldn't muster anything. There was also the other sequence later in that quarter yeah. where they had a 50 plus yarder and chose not to kick the field goal because Vakos was battling something. And they had a, I think it was fourth and two. And Braden Locke had Will Pauling open in the right flat, overthrew him. Can't have that either. So it was an accumulation of errors, and I'm not just putting it on Locke. I, this is a failure across the board. We haven't even talked about the defense, which gave up way too many big plays, just <laughs> collapsed at critical moments. You can't give up a touchdown on the opening drive. You can't give up a touchdown at the end of the first half when your offense finally shows some life. And while I have no reason to believe Wisconsin's offense would have done anything in the fourth quarter, if you're the defense – you can't allow Indiana to go down when it's a three-point game and milk the clock and end up with another field goal. So it's a failure across the board. Yeah, I mixed up the the the, the timing. Obviously, the the first one that I was the, the one that we had first and eighteen that was in the middle of the fourth quarter. The one that I was talking about with four minutes left, not kicking it, was obviously the one on on fourth and two, and and decided not to to try that one. But going back to the delay of game, yeah, which one? The purposeful one, <laughs> the purposeful. Uh, no, no, the the non, the one that that was not intentional. Yeah. Um. I, I don't. Again, I I know that people people came at me on saying that it was the quarterback's fault, and again, maybe there is probably blame to go around on that one. But what has Braden Locke said that his best trait is? What's the thing that makes him that he is? It's not us saying this. It's him saying this. What's what's the thing that he has said that uh is his biggest advantage? His knowledge, his understanding his of the yeah. game, and his teammates yeah. say the same thing. Yeah. Guess what? Snap the ball. That's to me, again, Luke Fickle could have time could have called timeout, but when he but looking from his point of view, they're behind the center with nine seconds left. He said as much at, after at, the game. At, right. At at some point, he's expecting the ball to be snapped and it just never comes. So I I mean, I guess you could sit there and say he should be right by the ref and when there's one second left, he, he should be calling timeout. But uh, anybody that has watched an, down a football is expecting that thing to come out, is expecting the ball to come, and it just never does. 
Now, again, I, I think you can I'm not simply saying this is all on Braden Lott, but for people up in arms and calling Luke Fickle a terrible coach for not calling timeout in that situation. Look at he's there. It's why the snap doesn't come. No one knows. So I I I, I struggle. I, I'm willing to blame Luke Fickle for a ton of things that have gone wrong this year. He and he has to own a lot of it. I, I'm not going to put this all on him. People have been like, oh, you have to help out your young quarterback. Your young quarterback is sitting there for 10 seconds, not calling for the ball. And again, there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot that goes into it. And that's two straight weeks where you had situations where you're in, you know, scoring the scoring area and you get a delay game call and an inexplicable game uh, delay game call on it. Uh, one. Okay. Right. The Ohio state game. Okay. But this one, it's just, just sitting there, just snap the ball. And I think the one last week against Ohio state was where two Ohio state guys jumped off sides and then they got back and it, it was still a delay game. I, the, those are just so frustrating on a, a number of levels because you have a, a perfect opportunity and him not calling his timeout. I don't think he was trying to save it. I just thought, I, I know he said you want to keep your timeouts for the second half, you know, and, and have them as late as you possibly can. And I, I guess I agree with that, but if he thought the snap wasn't going to come, he, he's calling timeout. That That's just the, the thing that you would do in that situation. I, I struggle. I struggle with that. And I, again, there's a lot of things to blame Luke Fickle for. This one, to me, to me, is on uh, Braden Lock, and um, you know whether that's also part of you know also throw Tanner Bordellini in this. I don't know, but snap the. I mean, the, the ball has to be back, and he has to call for it because you just can't have it in that situation. Let me ask you this, Zach. You mentioned a couple times, so I'm going to put you on the spot. You say you can't blame Luke Fickle for this. What do you blame Luke Fickle for in a season where the Badgers are five and four, three and three in the Big Ten, and certainly haven't met anybody's expectations? Finding any any way to win close games, and we we killed them last year, right? We killed them. Well, we didn't, but they, they uh, talked all off season. They essentially spent the entire off season talking about how big of a failure last year was because you couldn't finish. The focus the entire off season was finish, finish, finish. And the players are out there, but the coaches have to put them in a good enough spot to go and win games. And they have not done a good enough job to get them off to a good start so that they're not finding themselves in these holes. And then in the fourth quarter, making some uh, questionable decisions. Like, I'm I'm kicking the field goal there, Jesse. I, I'll blame Luke Vickle for that. At one point, you have to give your kicker a shot. And um, so that that is certainly up there. But just the overall look at the team it's an undisciplined team it's a team that it, it's a team that gets called for way too many penalties way too many boneheaded mistakes and so those are all things that luke fickle has to own as the head coach and he will so i mean they're just a very undisciplined team that um i know that bothers fans but you know you have false yeah it got called for eight penalties yesterday you don't think that mattered in a in a fourth quarter game, of course it does. But there, we talked about that last, you know, the one in four and, you know, games decided by seven points. Well, now they're one in four and games decided in the fourth quarter. The only one that wasn't, you know, a, a, you know, a single digit game in the fourth quarter was the, the Ohio State game, obviously. But it was a seven point lead in the fourth quarter. You had the ball. And that's the other thing. In all these situations, the offense had the ball with an opportunity to either tie or take the lead. And they didn't get it done in any of them except for one. 
nailed it pretty well. I mean, so, I mean, where, where else, where else would you put the blame? In terms what, of where like, it would for fall Luke Fickle. Fickle? Yeah. Like what other things stand out? I think some of this is, it's hard because it's easy to be very reactionary in the moment and it's understandable. And some of this I think needs, unfortunately for people hearing this more time for me to make a final determination. Like I, I can't answer right now whether it was the right move to go to an air raid approach that while running is still important in a lot of ways goes against the philosophy that Wisconsin has had for 30 years. It's a back and forth because we saw over the last three years, what they were doing wasn't working, wasn't effective. It was predictable, but now you've gone so far against it and you're doing things that previous Wisconsin teams that were successful never would have done. And that can be a good thing if it's successful, but it's not successful right now. I mean, you've got your retro freshman quarterback throwing the ball at least 39 times in all three of his starts. I get they didn't have Braylon Allen. They haven't had Chesma Lucy, but I just, I, I wonder, and I don't have the answer for that now. What was this the right decision? Will this ultimately be the right decision? And it's hard because a lot of this, yes, they brought in transfers, but a lot of the guys who are playing are particularly on the offensive line, the guys who have been here for a long time. So, you know, is it personnel? Is it talent? Is it play calling? It's probably all of those things. Um, Ultimately, in the long run, I think I'll I'll look back and wonder, did he make the right coaching decisions? But I don't have that answer right now. Yeah, I mean, again, those are long term decisions, right? right? Those are those are things that I don't think anybody can answer right now unless you're just straight up hating on uh, on Luke Fickle for trying. I mean, they're again, eight games into it. I know that there are some that would take issue that, that. you know, at this time next year, it's going to be like, well, and it's in the same situation, be like, well, have patience, have patience, or it's in 2025, have patience, have patience. No, this is a situation where you're eight games into a, uh, excuse me, nine games into a completely new program, a completely different situation. So I'm I'm not going to take a, I'm not going to make a decision on whether it was the right choice or not at this point. All I can do is look at what's on the field right now yes. and this particular team. And yes, the, but you mentioned Ches Malusi, you mentioned Braylon Allen, obviously Tanner Mordecai, like those are their, those coming into the year, those are their three best players on offense and they don't have any of them right now. And again, I don't know that it would have made a difference when Tanner Mordecai went out against Iowa, they were not playing very well. But I know Ches Malusi would make a difference. I know that they don't have the explosiveness at running back that they were expecting coming in, and they have nobody behind them to really count on to uh, to be that explosive player. Saw so a little bit of it in um, Katie Akamelli, but then you understand why maybe he's not playing, putting the ball on the ground the way that he did. They just they don't have enough playmakers on offense, enough explosive playmakers on offense right now to make this offense go the way that it needs to. Um, and I'm sure some people are like, well, will they ever have those guys? I don't know. Right. I mean, the 50, their longest passing play yesterday was, uh, excuse me, this year is 54 yards. And that came on Bryson Green's catch and run yesterday. Before that, Hayden Rucci had the longest catch and run, it was 47 yards. Like those are, that's not an explosive offense through the passing game. They don't have enough explosive 
plays in the passing game for a t- for this offense to I think to consistently work. No one's afraid of getting over the uh, of Wisconsin getting over the top on them right now. So that's that's this team, and there are so many issues you can point to why they haven't been able to get going offensively. I think the ex- the lack of explosive players is is probably near the top. And again, will they ever have those explosive players? I don't know, but. That to me is is probably one of the biggest issues for them offensively. Defensively, they figured things out just like they normally have this year, where they kind of get off to the slow start. But then, what did what did Indiana have in the second half? Thirty six yards, thirty seven yards. It wasn't it wasn't good. Um, so there are this this team right now. This team is what Luke Fickle has, and it's not good enough, and he has to own that. Particular situations within a game, blame is not just simply on the head coach. I know again, again, everyone wants to roll back and be like, "That's it's always on the head coach." And if okay, if that's the way you want to go with it, that particular situation, I personally believe that more blame goes on Braden Lock for the delay game. But again, as I said, plenty of blame to go around for a loss to Indiana, a bad Indiana team, and uh, that was certainly a part of it yesterday. The problem is when you say it's a bad Indiana team and Wisconsin loses, what does that say about Wisconsin? You just summed it up. Well, it's not a good yeah, I mean, Wisconsin team. Yeah, it, It's funny. Uh, I was having a conversation. I was doing a radio hit on Friday and was talking about the Packers and they're like talking about the, the Rams because the Rams are really bad and they're coming to Green Bay. And it's like, oh, you know, Packers playing one of the worst teams in the NFL. And I'm like, the Packers are one of the worst teams in the NFL. <laughs> There's that you, you they're like everyone's like, Everyone's looking at the schedule like, oh, we get the Packers? Sweet. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm not saying that that's what Wisconsin is. They're they're five and four, they're three and three in the Big Ten. They're not like the worst team in the conference, but they lost to the worst team in the conference yesterday. Um, right? I mean, who's who's worse? I mean, I guess you could make an art. I mean, I don't think who's could you make an argument for that's worse than Indiana? The list no is one. small. <laughs> it's it's there's it's not a long list. So like you look at the schedule, and I remember when we talked about it on Temple High, Temple and Heilpern on Thursday, it was like looking at next year's schedule, like, well, they should be able to get healthy on these games. Um, there are <laughs> the way that this team is playing, the way that this team is situated, there are no get right games for anybody. Northwestern comes in off a tough loss to Iowa next week. They get a Nebraska team whose defense can be stout at times. Um, they obviously lost uh, at Michigan State, speaking of horrible teams. Um, yes. So, you know, and then Minnesota can't beat Brett Bielma. I called that one. That was that was one of the easier picks outside of the Iowa Northwestern under. But there are, I said this last week. There are they could lose every single game or they could win them all. There are that's just the way that this team is. And I, you know, they're going to be the way it looked yesterday. I would be a little surprised if Braden Braylon Allen is available next week. Just mm-hmm. he still had a little bit of a limp, even though he wasn't in a boot. He had a little bit of a limp coming out. Did not warm it up, warm up at all. Uh, I know that there was some talk before the game on the TV station, and I know somebody put it out there. Maybe it was the fickle to put it out there, but he did not warm up at all. So uh, he was nowhere close. Chimray DK nowhere close to one hundred percent. Obviously, Tanner Mordecai came out, but that was always felt like breaking class of break in case of emergency with him. So they're not, it's not like they're getting guys back here. Uh, I think. So they are who they are right now. And can they find a win here in these final three games to get bowl eligible? I guess we'll find out. That's the thing is all three remaining games to me are toss-ups. Yes. I know Wisconsin is fortunate to have two, two of those games at home. 
against Northwestern and Nebraska. Like that's, but, my, like that's made a difference. Well, but that's where Wisconsin is as a program right now. And it's a, it's been a, a far fall from grace considering where they were in a lot of the 2010s, but it's where they are right now. And I also think that's a challenge as a, as a Badgers fan. And I'm not one of those because I cover the team, but I think you and I get a sense of the pulse around the program with how fans feel. It's really hard if you're a fan to see what Wisconsin was and see where the Badgers are now when you expect them to be at a certain level. And that's not to say they can't get there under fickle, but they are so far from that right now that you're in the last three games of the regular season thinking, God, can they win one of those just to get bowl eligible? And I can't definitively tell you, yes, Northwestern's four and five, Minnesota, Nebraska are five and four. Both those teams have the same record in big 10 play as Wisconsin. So that's, that's where it's at right now. And the thing is, it's like, there's, those are three solid defenses. It's yes. not, you know, and, Indiana against the run was just not very good. They weren't good. I mean, they just weren't good in general. And again, maybe we're not giving Indiana enough credit here. They did go to Penn State and give them all they could handle the week before. But um, now I'm not going to do that today. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not not doing that today. I'm putting this all on Wisconsin and their inability to finish games just like they couldn't finish games last year. And they're in a a really, really bad spot. Um, The... uh, what was there was one other thing I wanted to to mention about the game. Oh, the fourth and two, where they went for it. Um, yeah, and Braden Lock, or excuse me, uh, yeah, Braden Lock overthrew yeah. Will Pauling. The reason he said that the ball was the way it was was because of the tip pass early in the game. They ran a very similar play on fourth down on the was that their first drive? I think it was their their first drive where they they tried to when they went for it in uh, Indiana territory and ran a similar play and the ball got knocked down and will Pauling it looked like would have had the first down. So this time Braden yes. said, you know, with his, his, uh, his mind thinking about that, wanted to get it up over the, uh, make sure to get it up over the defensive lineman and, uh, it sailed on him. And that was the reason why. So get, if you're wondering why that, that pass is overthrown, um, and why it was thrown the way it was, that's the reason why. You're right. It was, I've got the play by play here to jar my memory a little bit, but um, it was Wisconsin's first drive. They had a fourth and three at the Indiana 42. And that was one where Pauling was open in the right flat, but Indiana came in and, and broke up the pass. I don't know that I can recall seeing a game where the other team broke up nine passes and that's what Indiana did. There was actually a stretch, a moment, I believe in the second quarter where Braden Locke had five completions and he had six passes that had fallen incomplete due to a pass breakup. Just crazy. Yeah, it is. And uh, not all those were with the DBs. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, like was, I thought some of them were right? at the line of scrimmage. Yes. Uh, I'm looking, just looking at the stats here. Uh, a line, let's see, um, Andre Carter, defensive lineman, had two pass breakups. He had uh, uh, Linnell Carr, a linebacker with one. Um, there was another... A linebacker that had uh, Jacob Magna Ferrar had a had a pass breakup. So they uh, <laughs> they, they got their hands up, and I think that may be a little bit of a a thing. Like when you're trying to figure out a new quarterback, and Braden Locke is still a relatively a new quarterback, but we heard it from Illinois after he had put the ball on the ground against Iowa that they felt 
Like he's not very, he doesn't protect it very well. Let's get after it. And they, and they, you know, were able to do that. And now I think it's, you know, he's not the tallest quarterback in the world, no. you know? So, Hey, get your hands up. Can you have an opportunity to get your hands on some passes? And that's exactly what happened because he's, he's not normally, normally he's not going to be a guy that's is putting a ton of air on passes. He's, he's looking to get it in there. Um, hot and heavy. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's looking to, to put some, to spin on it because he's making some throws that are, uh, that, that need it, but there's, that makes an opportunity for um, linebackers and, and defense alignment to get their hands on passes. So yeah, it's, it's a uh, blame all to go around. <laughs> Was there any positives in the game for you, Jesse? CJ gets had 12 tackles. Mm. <laughs> There wasn't a, a lot. A, I don't know. Right. I don't I don't know how I can sit here and say um, you got a nice explosive play from Bryson Green. You talked about that. It was a 54 yard touchdown. Longest play pass play they've had. Bryson took it the last 49. So there are some small encouraging signs, but they are so small, so minuscule relative to the overarching problems this team has that I don't have any more than that. As you'd imagine, the Twitter questions have got rational, not, positive. Not, not overly positive, not okay. overly positive, which is fine, which is fine. I mean, there there are enough um, people trying to take positive angles and there's enough people trying to take negative angles. So we'll, we'll try to uh, I'll see if I can find some positive ones here in here. I'm not I'm not. But oh, John, John wants to start start with an optimistic question. He's wondering what do we got. He says, give me a reason to be optimistic about the future of the program, especially the offense schedule is only going to get way more difficult. There's only one wide receiver coming in next year. The transfers they brought in last season haven't moved the needle. What changes? I thought about this as I was walking out of Memorial Stadium because it would be one thing if you could say, oh, they like their best players, they're all presumably going to be gone. This is this is it for Tanner Mordecai, Braylon Allen's likely going to the NFL draft. Jim Ray DK is a senior. Um I don't I don't have the answer for you other than maybe with another year and maybe with some reflection, they're able to make the tweaks necessary. A lot of this is probably going to come down to who can they add in the portal. But like having that level of hope for the portal based on what we saw this year, I don't know if it's a fool's errand, but I don't have the answer for you right now because I thought it would be so much better. There is talent at wide receiver. Is Braden Locke the answer as a future at quarterback? Can't definitively say that right now, but I can't see them going to the portal and bringing somebody else in when they've got a scholarship quarterback coming in. You're not going to have six scholarship quarterbacks or whatever. So it's tough. It's just tough. Like, well, they have three, they have three running backs coming in. Two of them are four-star guys. There's a lot of talent there. Um, I mean, Gideon Atuka is is the one running back who isn't a four star and feels like he's rushed for five thousand yards this year. So they have talent, but I just this year has been instructive, I think, for me because I looked at the portal and thought, "Wow, look look at this! They got Bryson Green coming in. Look what he did at Oklahoma State. They got C.J. Williams, top ten wide receiver, and I mean, <laughs> Tanner Mordecai threw what? What do we say? Seventy two touchdowns the last two years at SMU." It's not a guarantee. It's not an automatic. So it's difficult to make assumptions that it's just going to happen next year. 
it is difficult, and yet I firmly believe they're going to hit that portal hard. And again, they—I mean, it depends on which which one you're looking at. Did they have like a? It was like a top fifteen, top twenty transfer class. Maybe yes. that was because of the numbers. Um, uh, they're going to. And in quarterbacks, do you actually think all uh, what does they have right now? Obviously, Mordecai's they have, good. They have four. Yeah, obviously Mordecai's gone. Do you think all four of those guys are coming back? I would well, be shocked. I would be shocked. Okay, if, well, if all four of those if four of those guys are back. Well, let's just let's just look at it, right? So they have Mabry Matire coming in, who obviously is is a Phil Longo guy, Braden Locke. Nick Evers has already transferred <laughs> into the program, so you leave, you, you leave. Um, you know, you're gonna have to sit here. That leaves Miles Burkett and Cole LaCrue. Um, you know, I really don't. At. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, th- this is the other thing: is you're gonna have to not so subtly <laughs> suggest to people ruin the roster. You got to go, right? Because that I, I've been thinking about this too. I just look at the roster, and it's easy to say, "Oh, well the the offensive line hasn't been good enough. They got to go get some guys." They have five scholarship guys coming in in the twenty twenty four recruiting class, so it's not that easy. You you got to evaluate your scholarship numbers at each position and find out what's feasible. But you also need to upgrade the talent uh, across the board. I I don't know that you can look at any position right now and say, if you're the coaches, we, we've got enough right here to feel comfortable. So not a chance. It's a challenge. Not a chance. Not a chance. You could do that. Quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, offensive line, defense, line, linebacker, cornerback, safety, inside linebacker. Well, maybe yep. kicker, maybe kickers. The one kicker's spot good. You're not if he's add, healthy, you're not going to add anything. Punter is something that you might want to look at again. Mm-hmm. Uh, because while, Indiana, so you, you, I wanted to mention this when you're talking about it. You know, when they, when Wisconsin pinned Indiana deep, ball was yeah. at the four yard line, right? Mm-hmm. And they end up punting. And it's like, okay, well, you know, Wisconsin get the ball about midfield. Where'd they get the ball? The 33, because yes. the, the dude, dude can, can blast a 55 it. yard punt. Yeah. Cause some guys can absolutely blast it. Mm-hmm. They've lost the field position battle continuously in this this four game stretch which they've lost three of them they have lost the the field goal or i should say the field position battle really really badly and again it's one thing if it's tory taylor he's right. yeah it's, that's just going to happen but you're you haven't you haven't been better special teams wise punt wise than any of the other teams either i mean they've started inside i think it I looked at it yesterday, and at the time, I think it was like nine times inside their own ten. They had they had to add a few more of those uh, in the last mm-hmm. you know three plus games, and the other team had been in there twice headed into yesterday's game twice. That's just an unfair. I mean, that's just a huge, huge advantage for the opposing team. It's it's very, very tough to overcome that on a regular basis. But yeah, the one punt that I think about the most from the Indiana game, and I know it's a tough spot. But Wisconsin had to punt at its own five yard line, and and Bertram's, it was a low liner, and if Indiana hadn't fair caught it, I just wonder <laughs> where they would have ended up. It went thirty seven yards. Indiana started at Wisconsin's forty two yard line, and because they had such good field position, they ended up kicking a field goal to take a ten nothing lead. Like those things all matter in games that are decided by one possession. Um, Steve's wondering who's feeling the most heat. Is it? Athletic director Chris McIntosh? Is it head coach Luke Fickle or is it Phil Longo and Mike Trussell? 
we get this question every few weeks. Um, and I think what I've said before, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think we're on the same page. The Like the Fickle Macintosh thing, they're tied together. This is a long-term play. So Fickle's not happy. I mean, he's not used to losing, but I don't know. I mean, the offense just hasn't been good. I know there have been a lot of injuries. Um, I kind of look at I kind of look there first, and because when you say who's feeling the heat, it's like this is a long term play at the top. Yeah, I would I would totally agree with that. As you and we are definitely on the right on the same page when it comes to Chris McIntosh and Luke Fickle. They are joined at the hip. If one goes high, the other one goes high. If one goes low, the other one goes low. So, um, yeah, Chris McIntosh can't be. Uh, enthused as to what he's seen so far, but he doesn't have a choice but to uh, hold on for the ride because he's there. There is no doubt that they are tied together. He, I maybe you disagree with this. And again, eight games into it, nine games into it, let's. I'm going to pump the brakes here. But if this doesn't work out, Chris McIntosh is not going to get to hire another AD, or excuse me, another football coach. Are we? Are we maybe we disagree on that. Boy, um, I'm not ready to go there yet. Um, yeah, I'm not ready to go there yet. That's fine. I already did, so I got you. <laughs> um, Brian says, given the offseason changes, buzz, and expectations, will this season wind up being the most disappointing, if not playing worst, in the past 30 years? Oh, no. Well, hmm. no, no. <laughs> No, I have to because, I have to really think about it. 2018 comes to mind. Like obviously I haven't wasn't here for all those 30 years, but I have been for 13 seasons. 2018 is probably at the top of my list during this that stretch just because they went 2017. You know how I feel about that Orange Bowl win, Zach. Yeah, they had everyone biggest, coming biggest back. Biggest win in program history. Obviously. Um there have been some real disappointing seasons, but I would also say this ranks up there in terms of what you thought was going to happen. So expectations, but we also are seeing now, and I'll speak for myself, underestimating what the challenge actually actually was going to be when you brought in transfers. You also had a lot of the same guys that were on teams that weren't good the last three years. Yeah. I mean, this is, let's, I mean, let's be fair about it. This is the fourth straight year that they're going to have at least three big 10 losses. Yep. They had one such year between 2013 and 2019, and that was 2018 when they started top five in the country. I think you might be right. Was it fourth? Yeah, they were on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Look, yes, I said that. I, I yeah, the, the, obviously the because of the buildup around it, of which we were part of, they have not met expectations. It's I mean, even if they have, even if they're sitting here at like. You know, six and three or seven and two, you're feeling a little bit better about it, but you're five and four and you just lost to freaking Indiana. So it's it's very hard, but they also lost to a very bad Minnesota team that year at home. Yep. Uh, for the first time since 2003, lost the axe for the first time since 2003. So there's there's that part of it. Um, 2000 was very, very, very disappointing. Like if you're just talking about playing worst, I think this is going to be up there. Last year was very much up there as well. Certainly the circumstances around it play out, but getting housed at home by Illinois, who proved to be an okay team, but getting housed by your former coach, not yeah. great. Not even putting up a fight at Ohio State. Like this team, as opposed to last year's schedule, has put up a fight against every team they faced. 
Like there hasn't been a situation where they haven't fought. Now, have they come out on top at the end? Absolutely not. But they've been in every single game that they've played. And that was not the case last year. So there's certainly that to it. Um, but 2018 is up there. Yeah, I don't think there. I mean, it's interesting because there are not that many seasons where you can have this conversation. And I, I had to go to uh, the interwebs here to go back to 2000. I don't it doesn't compare in part. I know they they opened the season number four. That team at least went nine and four. Three of those yes. four losses were to teams that were in the top 20. Um, I mean, you, that was you Bar- lose. That was Barry Alvarez, what he has said, his best team. Like, or yeah. scout talent-wise, his best team. To lose four games, that's on the level of losing three games with freaking ten, with uh, Russell Wilson as your quarterback. So there are there are different levels of disappointment. Like, that, right. to, that to me is disappointment. In terms of just being bad, those teams were not bad. This right. team is not good. Last year's team was not good. Uh, 2018 was not very good. But that one expect see that to me that that is has has to be where it is because 2018 with the expectations going into it to then fall off the way that they did and right. and uh, end up pl- finishing the year in New York in a freezing Yankee Stadium that is uh, a a little bit different than anything else that has happened. So 2018 probably is is up there just in terms of expectations along with the team not being very good. Yeah. Don't disagree. 2020 in part, in yeah. part, just because of the way it started. Grant, Grant Mertz's debut, and then they come back and beat Michigan. But that that year is an anomaly for a number of reasons. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you think this this is from Brad? And we kind of talked about it already, but. Is it safe to assume at least two of the three running back recruits next year will have a big role in the offense, assuming Chez does not come back? Well, I would think they're going to get every opportunity. I, I It's hard to say no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jackson Aker and Kate Iacomelli, it's not it's not fair to say this is who they are because like that's their first extensive actions specifically for Cade. And, and you referenced this as well. There was a stretch on the drive late in the third quarter where you really started to see him put some things together. I think he had four really good carries. He had a carry around the left edge for nine yards that got negated because Jack Nelson got called for holding. So there are some good things there, but you know, if you don't have Ches and Braylon and I mean, that's, I guess not, guarantee on Chez, but we'll we'll have to see. You got Jackson Aker, Cade Yacomelli, Nate White. Those are your scholarship guys that return. So I have to think at least one of those running backs uh, they'd be counting on. Ben says, is Locke the future? His lack of mobility inhibits this offense. They need a dual threat. I can't definitively say that he is, but you're going to have to tell me who's better positioned right now to be that guy. There's no one on the roster. I mentioned previously they're bringing in Mabry Mattire. Certainly like what he's been able to do as a high school player, but we know that that doesn't automatically translate as a true freshman. And so maybe it does come down to, like you were saying, they have some hard conversations with some of the other guys so they can make room. But right now, I would say Locke is is the guy. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact that... Uh... There's a lot of people that think Mabry Matoyer is going to come in here and be the starter right away. That always happens. It's always like, oh, true freshman coming in. He's going to be the guy. 
that when's the last time that happened? Well, isn't is Jameis Seas the last true freshman who started a game quarterback for Wisconsin? It's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah. And here's the other thing, as we know about the portal. Never any guarantees. Who's the most mobile quarterback on the roster right now? It's Nick Evers. You got to be able to do a lot of different things in order to give yourself an opportunity. So in an ideal world, yeah, you could bring in a guy who's got the total package, who's got mobility. I mean, I <laughs> I was watching LSU in Alabama last night, and I was like, yeah. my God, look at those two quarterbacks. They can do everything. Well, those kinds of guys are rare. Well, I mean, if we're being fair, there is the Jalen Milrow experience. It is sometimes, yeah, it, sometimes it looks good, sometimes it doesn't, right? Yeah, he got benched earlier in the year. But yes, um, but like there, like he's it's either all or nothing with him. Jalen Daniels on, or Jaden Daniels, he has both, right? He's yeah. he's got the ability. I mean, he's he's skyrocketing up uh, draft boards at this point, and we got a up close and uh, personal look at him when they played Arizona State the bowl game a few years ago. Very good player has taken himself to a different level at LSU, and there are opportunities to get those type of guys in the portal. Wisconsin have they have that opportunity has to get them. So if we're talking about the future of the program, like I'm not I feelings when it comes to NIL and the portal and college football in general right now means so little to me. Like if you're if you can get a better player, you get that better player whether you have a relationship with your quarterback or not. Give yourself the best chance. No? Yeah, I I totally agree. It's winning is the name of the game. These coaches get paid a lot of money. And why? So they can win. Now, you do have to strike a balance, obviously, because team culture and chemistry matters. But you get the players that you can and hope you see enough that, that it falls into place. Nick says he put a, he put, he had a poll out there, Jesse. Okay. Um, is this a well-coached football team? Yes or no? <laughs> <laughs> would you would, do you want me to do you want me to tell you the poll results right now? Um is it 80-20 no? So there's 18 votes. Oh, all right, small sample size. Small sample size, but no currently is carrying the the day with 94%. So I assume that's uh <laughs> 17 votes or 18 votes uh against and 19 votes or one vote for. Yeah. I don't I'm not great at math, but that sounds about right. That's a really hard one for me to answer. Uh, it hasn't been good enough. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like there were, there've been some good things defensively. Um, they haven't been consistent enough and offensively there have been some head scratching things that they're doing. I mean, they're throwing swing passes to Jackson acre. And it's like, if it didn't work with Braylon Allen, is it going to work now? Um, but I'm, I'm not in those rooms and I'm not sure what the plans are. All I can see is that it hasn't been effective enough this season. So, and you have to say that if, if we're going to talk about how the players haven't executed, I mean, the coaches are also the ones trying to put them in position to succeed. So the blame falls there as well. Well, and that was the, another question. Dylan says, at what point do we begin to question Longo's system? Yes, they're not his players, but he hasn't improved one unit of this offense all season. Again, to me, that's, yeah, it hasn't been good enough this year. I'm, I'm, that's obvious. And I think I've even put in the story, Wisconsin's offense scoring offense right now, it's like 23.6 points per game. 
the last time he had a season that bad as an offensive coordinator, he was at Minnesota Duluth like 17 years ago or something like that. So this is not the norm for him. Injuries can't deny played a role. He brought those that up on multiple occasions in the one opportunity we had to speak to him during the regular season, but the plans haven't led to success. And so that's, that's got to fall at least uh, in large degree on the offensive coordinator. Uh, Van says, did you, did we, us see any signs or hints going into the season that fickle and his coaching staff were worried this type of season was coming based on the personnel they had, or do you feel that they were thinking like the, the, the lines, similar lines like we were, where it's going to be like a double digit win season. I don't think any of them outwardly projected worry. So hard to say that. Um, I don't know. I think they thought the talent was there. But I don't think anybody thought it was going to be this hard to have everything come together. I mean, go back to, as I've referenced a couple of times, what Longo said about how quickly people were able to adapt to a system and reference the success they had immediately at Sam Houston. So I don't think they had that level of worry, but I also can't speak to what the internal conversations were like. I mean, Jack McNell Jr. said in the preseason that he felt good about everybody in his two deep. And yet, what did we what did we see on Saturday? We saw five dudes. Trey Weddick isn't even playing anymore. And the Jake Renfro conversation is a separate conversation, but no one else appears to even be close to being a key contributor. So they feel like they don't have enough there. And that's a pretty important position. So I don't know. Yeah. The lack of rotation along the offensive line is certainly something that has stood out. I think I think Wedig may have gotten one drive yesterday. He was uh, he was in for Michael Fortney at one point, but otherwise there has not been the same rotation we saw earlier in the year. I was not a huge fan of the rotation, but I don't know why it stopped. I don't know that uh, any of those interior linemen, uh, the, the guards wise, have shown that they deserve to have their job unquestioned again. We don't see what happens during the week. So if there's competition going on, there's competition going on. But none of the guys behind them have given, have been given a chance in a game. And I know you earn your opportunities in practice, and uh, that is apparently you know the, the case and what it is. Uh, Nate says the, the the goal the rest of the year should be win trophy games, Nebraska, Minnesota, mm-hmm. to keep the bowl streak alive and build the momentum going into next year. What position groups have to show the most the rest of the way to turn things around? Is it quarterback, running back, or wide receiver? Ooh, well, it was a plural question. It was positions. It wasn't yeah. what position. And that's why I would well, say all of them. What um, position What position groups, yeah, has to show well, the most? Specifically on offense? He said quarterback, running back, wide receiver. Well, it's got to start with the quarterback because he's got the ball in his hands every, every play. And I mentioned Braden has thrown the ball at least 39 times in all three of his starts. And if that's what you're going to do, you got to have a completion rate that's better than 50%. He is at exactly 50% for this season. Um, he's had some really good moments. He's got five touchdowns, one interception. You just look at that and you think, oh, that's pretty good. But there have been some issues as we've addressed. I think it starts there. The running back question is tough just because don't know whether we're going to see Braylon Allen in any of those three games. And if you don't have him, that changes the equation as we've laid out. So th- that's where I would start. Yeah. Uh Thumbs up. Barry's wondering if the Badgers got a big rock and placed it outside Camp Randall Stadium, would they play more inspired to defend said rock like Indiana? <laughs> no? <laughs> um, that I mean, it's a good question. They, I mean, they had 
Obi the obelisk back out out there. They obviously took that down. Uh, the the phallic football uh, statue that they had outside the stadium when they redid the plaza area. Um, maybe they t- maybe they rub Barry's head as their but that's at the wrong end of the stadium. Like I don't yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Maybe they have to just change up their their entrance and go in from the other way and you know give Barry a high five as they're walking past his statue or something. Um, but Wisconsin doesn't have said rock to to uh, to rub yet at this point. Um, John says he's too lazy to do the math. I am as well, and I know you are as well. What's the worst possible record a Big Ten West champion could have this year? Well, uh, <laughs> Iowa's got the one-game lead right now at four and two in the conference. So wor- worst possible record to me would, I guess, be three losses. I mean, had Northwestern found a way to beat Iowa, we would have been looking at a five-way tie for first place in the Big Ten West with everybody at three and three. That would have been the sicko committee's, like, people would have gone crazy for it. Yeah. I mean, and I guarantee they've got – I went and looked. When I saw this question, I went and looked because they sometimes do um, – someone puts together a way that every team in the Big Ten could – or the Big Ten West could win it. Like, you have, like, a seven-way tie or a six-way tie <laughs> for for first in the Big Ten West. My guess is six and three is probably – well, what's the worst record you could probably have? Five and four to win it i mean assuming based on tiebreakers yeah yeah i mean i was certainly gonna have a not gonna be blowing people out here down the stretch i wouldn't think so five and four they could certainly end up five and four um wisconsin could end up five and four the other teams could end up five and four i think five and four is probably the worst one i mean we talked about earlier this year where six and three probably made the the most sense but five and four is probably the worst record that's that you could have to, to have a chance to win it. Agreed? Yes. Yeah. In this year in particular. Uh thank God the West Division is on its way out. So yeah, this is a it's it's a really tough, really tough year for the Big Ten West. And uh, all these teams gonna have to go and face uh some really good teams next year. Though again, I think as we pointed out on Temple and Heilprint on Thursday, uh, they uh Wisconsin will play five of the six teams in the Big Ten West next year. The only team they don't get is is Illinois, which is unfortunate for them because that's the only team that's one of the only uh, Big Ten West teams they've beaten this year. So um, them and Purdue at this point. We'll see if they can figure it out coming up on Saturday as they take on Northwestern at home, 2.30 kickoff. We'll talk about that later this week. And then again, for Temple and Heil from back at Monks in some Prairie. Uh, is there anything else you want to hit on, Jesse? Did we forget no. anything? I'm, I'm sure we did. But uh, hit me up in the we, mentions for things I, I did not talk about. Yeah, we we covered enough right now. I need some time to digest after this wonderful weekend in Bloomington. Woof. All right, man. Have safe travels back. All right. Talk soon. All right. There he is. Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp.